Welcome to The Shed Wireless, a podcast from the Australian Men's Shed Association, shoulder to shoulder, virtually. Hello and welcome to the Men's Health Week episode of The Shed Wireless. Coming up, V8 supercars legend David Reynolds talks isolation, motivation and living your best life. Professor John McDonald explains how sadness can actually be good. To be or not to be. We talk to our friends at Healthy Mail about letting your pencil and Rip Woodchip has had his chassis serviced, much to everyone's amusement. All that and a whole lot more ahead on The Shed Wireless. Hello, I'm Aaron Carney and I'm in the not especially executive office of AMSA's executive officer. Hello, David Elmes. How are you? Aaron, glad you could make your way through all the crap on the floor, mate. Yes. <laughs> Probably a, a workplace safety issue around here, mate. <laughs> if this is the penthouse suite, I don't want to see the outhouse suite. Oh, no, so. no, it wouldn't be pretty, mate. It wouldn't be pretty. Men's Health Week, we don't sort of necessarily yeah. uh, kick the door down with health in the shed movement, but it's a critical cornerstone of what we do, huh? It is, and I think it's very timely this week that we're seeing you know a lot of sheds reopening this week around the country, and it fits perfectly that it is Men's Health Week and all the sheds have been saying why they've been isolated, the effect on mental health and the social isolation and everything that the members were experiencing. So it's really getting back to our grassroots of what the men's sheds are about with everyone returning this week, quite timely so during Men's Health Week. So they'll all get back there and they may not know it, but I think they all appreciate it, that it's all about their health. It's a theme that will go through today's episode, but I think you'll find that we do it with a bit of a velvet glove. You'll have a good time along the way. Let's check the mailbag. Vic has written to our email this week, theshedwireless at mensshed.net, and we encourage you to do so as well. He says, well, I've just finished listening to your international transmission of episode six, and what a cracker. Simply great coverage and entertaining listening. The accents in the delivery and diversity within the topics is absolutely Absolutely, men's shed has been a really good startup run. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Vic, on the Central Coast, and he's referring there specifically to our Irish friends. Well, Vic, I can report it is the first of a couple of conversations that you will be hearing in coming episodes because you weren't the only one who enjoyed them, and we quite enjoyed doing them as well. Didn't yeah, we? they're good crack. They're always over in Ireland, and uh, yeah, we're keeping regular contact, and hopefully, we'll have them, have them back on the air soon. We are about to speak to David Reynolds, the V8 supercar driver who has been a great partner to shedding and you've got to know him quite well as well, haven't you, David? Yeah, I have, I have. And I think um, last time I was talking to Dave, he was saying similar to myself, it's during this whole COVID breaks the longest he's ever had his feet on the ground for about 10 years and he was enjoying the time at home. But he just says the simulators are no substitute for the real thing. So we welcome Dave on board. Yeah, he is a really impressive bloke. Let's meet him. You're listening to The Shed Wireless. David Reynolds should be all over our TV screens right now on a giant killing run up the supercars leaderboard for the Penwright team that would end in another Bathurst win later this year. But unfortunately, he, like the rest of us, are wondering what might have been in 2020. One job he does continue to be able to do, however, is his role as ambassador for the Men's Shed Health Program Spanner in the Works, He's not only a great driver, but he's also widely recognised for his outstanding leadership, personality, fan appeal, sportsmanship within the motorsport industry, and that's why we have a treasured relationship with him in the shed movement. Hi, David. Hey, Aaron. That's that's a very good intro. I sound. I actually sound like a good bloke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've now got a few minutes to uh, disabuse us of that opinion. Yeah, I, I think everyone's <laughs> going to be quite disappointed after us. <laughs> not at all. I mean, first things first. How are you doing in lockdown? Uh, yeah, like I'm not too bad. When it all first started to happen, I, I like like everyone else, like we didn't know how long it was going to go for, mm. and like because you watch the news all the time and there's, there's so much like fear installed into you you think you're walking down the street and you see like zombie corpses flopping around and stuff and it just wasn't like that at all but as it sort of went on and on because like i actually don't i I've, I've half enjoyed it and to be honest like if it goes back to normal i'm probably going to miss isolation a little bit because <laughs> like i travel a lot for my job I, I fly a lot i'm always doing stuff i'm hardly ever home and this is the first time in a long time i've spent you know, a good six weeks at home. So it's a very, very different change for me. 
what is it about ISO life that is a value add from what many people would see your life as being fantastic in the sense of all of the magical, exciting things you get to do? What did this moment of pause bring to you? Well, like it, it because um, racing cars and that, you know, being part of supercars for the whole year, it's so flat out. You're just bouncing from, you know, appearance to appearance, racetrack to racetrack, going to the workshop, doing, just trying to look after yourself and manage everything. And it's the first time in my life that it's actually stopped. And you start to reflect and realize and, and start to think. And <laughs> I suppose that's the end result. You're thinking when most of the other times you're kind of just doing, you're not really thinking. Um, so it's, it's a bit of time of reflection. Um, I'm trying to get my house in order. I've been cooking heaps. I've been, um, you know, doing the odd training session every day. And it's just kind of, it's just slowed everything down and, and made you realize a lot of things that you never realized before. It's, it's just, a, it's been very strange, but it's kind of like a profound experience where I can actually use my brain. I've started to read books again, which is, I haven't done that for 10 years. <laughs> There's so many things I want to engage you on in that answer, but let's start with this one. What are you cooking? If we came around to your house, what's your what's your signature dish? Uh, I cook heaps of different stuff, but mainly oh, I'm a pretty boring, you know, meat and vegetables type person. But yeah, yeah. I've been making cookies, muffins, just just heaps of different stuff. Will the uh, racing suit be snug when you have to get back in the car? Uh, no, like at the start of it, I actually lost weight. Oh, did you? Yeah, I don't know why. And then I've sort of put it back on and I'm, I'm always kind of about the same 70 kilo mark as I always have been. Yeah, right. But at the, at the start of it, because in Melbourne, you know, we're sort of trending into winter, the days, you know, I could see the end, I could see the end of, um, you know, the good days coming. So mm-hmm. I knew it was going to be really cold soon. So I started riding my bike heaps and was doing, you know, probably three, 400 Ks a week on my bike. And then... As the weather started to go bad, I haven't done as much, and I started running a bit more. So I probably that's probably the only thing that changes my physical exercise or exertion hasn't been as much. Um, that's probably why I put on some weight. <laughs> yeah, 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 good, yeah. Interesting though. And what about reading wise? What book did you pick up? Um, I started reading. Um, like I love investing and investing books and oh, principles yeah. and all that stuff. So I started reading Rich Dad Poor Dad. Oh yeah. Um, it was a book made in the nineties. It's yeah, really good book. Very good. Have you read that? Uh, yeah, but probably maybe fifteen years ago. Not, not maybe not. I, yeah, yeah, it's an older book. I've got a feeling I might even have interviewed the author at some stage. So that might have been. Uh, oh really? Awesome. Yeah, yeah, that I read it. What, what do you think about what's going to happen? I mean. Without without being too pointed about it, uh, the major sponsor of the supercars is in a bit of financial trouble. We're in for an economic rocky road, aren't we? Yeah, we are. We are in for a very um, unstable sort of future, very volatile, I think it's going to be. Um, it's really hard to predict. Our sport relies a lot on crowds, so when we go back racing, um, there'll probably be no crowd elements so, um, yeah, until they find you know, a possible vaccine. Um, I don't think there's going to be crowds in the near future for any sports. I know, it's just real uncertain times. Like I think our, our sport's going to look a lot different because, you know, we have so many people. It's basically a traveling circus. You know, we have, you know, people only see the race the race cars. There's only 24 of them. But behind the scenes, there's probably 1,500 people that, that travel with us as far as TV, marshalling, um, ambulance, stewards, all the mechanics, the crew, every, everyone involved with it. It's quite a big organisation travelling around. So, you know, large groups can't um, – they can't converse or be, be seen. So, you know, that we're going to have to cut a lot of staff and a lot of – it's going to look a lot different. I'm, I'm sorry to say, but it's probably going to. Yeah, and you've alluded to it there but one of the things as somebody who in my previous life I worked across uh, covering a whole heap of different sports and one of the cornerstones of the success of supercars as I've seen it has been its audience outreach you guys are super approachable you're very immersed in your fan base and that's going to be really challenging to navigate yeah it's going to be very 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 strange for us because you know before the biggest race of the year Bathurst 1000 you can come up and say good day talk to us like literally 10 minutes before the race starts so mm. now basically that's going to be it's going to be like a ghost town for us it's going to be very very different change but 
it's going to simplify a lot of stuff. It's going to simplify a lot of sports, a lot of businesses, and um, it's going to be very different going forward for the you know the next until they find a vaccine, until we can get past all this all this drama. It's a very strange time, though, isn't it? It's very it's hard to comprehend. It's hard to comprehend because so much of what you think you know, the givens, you know, the daily expectations have mm. gone away. And as you say, n- not all for better and not all for worse. There are things that, uh, many joys that can be found, but there were also many things that we, well, I don't know if we did treasure them or whether we just expected them, but when they go away, you recognize their absence, don't you? Exactly right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but there's always a silver lining in every yeah. in every disaster. There's always somewhat some good to come out of it, I think. And as long as you learn from your, your past history and your actions, you, you can go forward and build a better future. I just wanted to engage on the mental aspect of your life. You talked about how it was busy before and how you've had more time to think now. You also mentioned how you have to have a pretty good on-off switch because you could be posing for a selfie with somebody and five minutes later going 220 clicks. How do you manage yourself mentally? Being a an athlete, I suppose it's it's quite taxing. You know, you're trying to please a lot of people. Uh, you got all your family commitments. You got all your sponsor commitments. You got all your team commitments. Um, you got all your fan commitments. You know, there's there's a there's a lot of aspects that you kind of have to look after and keep everyone happy. So, you know, most of your time is actually dedicated to that. And then you got to drive the car and perform at your best on top of that. So, mm. it's a very very strange sort of um, conundrum you put yourself into so managing that's very difficult um, the best thing to do is just plan you know when you're super busy you got to plan everything out um, you've got to have people in place you have good management to sort of sort of segregate you from all that stuff because you can get too involved in that and um, it can wear you down so a, a famous incident for me was uh, the 2018 Bathurst 1000 when I was you know had the fastest car qualified on pole uh, led, you know, it's a 161 lap race and we led 140 laps of that race or something like that, 148. And um, I succumbed to injuries due to too much stress and, you know, no sleep. I had cramps in my my legs so I couldn't drive the car anymore. And it was basically just down to, you know, too much media activity, too much. I wasn't looking after myself mentally or physically to to perform at my best. So that is, you know, case in point, probably a huge disaster for, for myself and my team because we could have gone um, back-to-back Bathurst champions. But from from all that ex- from all that experience, we learned not to do that again and we have to look after each other a bit more and a huge blow, but, you know, hopefully we can learn from it. That's interesting because many of the shedders who would be listening now, uh, one of the tough transitions that happens in life is when you go from uh, having a strong sense of identity in your job, whatever that job might be, whether you were the local plumber or the town planner or anything in between, and then all of a sudden you just have to exist in your own skin. And uh, (laughs) that can be a challenging thing. How much is your... Sense of self wrapped up in your, and I use the term advisedly, wrapped up in your celebrity. Uh, yeah, good question. Um, probably a lot, to be honest. I've mm. been known as David Reynolds, the racing driver, for my entire life. Really, even at school, I was racing go karts when all the other kids were playing football. So I was always known as the racing driver, David. And when that stops, mm. I have. You know, I've, I've always wanted to do other stuff and always thinking of doing other stuff, but until that day actually happens it's it's going to be a strange scenario for myself to be in but um i'd always you know i i'm a, I'm a lover of life i love life i love i love doing it even though that sounds really lame but no no <laughs> like, it doesn't at all because some people don't love life you know? <laughs> so. it's, you know it's a rocky road at times it's it's not always a love love relationship sometimes you know some days you have hard days and and but you know it's just a, it's a passing storm. You know you're going to get better eventually, and and um, you're going to you're going to see that you're going to see the other side of the storm, and it'll stop raining, and it'll, it'll be sunny again, and you'll be in love with your life again. It's weird. Um, you know, every day I, I love waking up. I love even if I've got nothing to do, I always find something to do. Whether it's I, lo- I can organize the fridge or organize the 
organize something in my house or go see someone or you know I always love always love doing stuff or partaking in things or setting tasks you know the best thing to do I think at the start of the day is to set your own agenda and say this is what I'm going to do for the day this is what I'm going to try and achieve doesn't matter how small it is I might read 30 pages of the book or I might go for an hour run or you know something small just to just to sort of plan your day out I think that's always been part of my mantra is you've got to have a plan even for basic stuff make your bed something small uh, you're not the first person that i've heard that from certainly not the first successful person that i've heard that from and even in our oh, really oh. Now, yeah even in our time today there's a strong theme emerging from your answers that you feel like purpose and organization are key H- happen to things don't let things happen to you am i paraphrasing that accurately that's mm. that's a pretty good summary <laughs> i've never really but yeah, everything, everything I have said is all about planning and organisation, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, and and in some ways compartmentalising, you know, like putting uh, putting things in their own boxes and dealing with them separately so you don't get overwhelmed. Exactly right. Yeah, most most people forget to think to sit down and actually plan and think. Uh, elaborate on that thought. What do you mean by that? Well, like most people try and they get told how to think or they get told how to act and they don't actually try and come up with anything or think about anything for themselves. So I think that's one thing is to, you know, use your brain and and think for yourself and and plan and strategize and do everything that you feel like you wanted to do. Sounds really weird and really philosophical, but... What are we now if not uh, in a situation in life where we can uh, try and make sense of things with a little bit of a breath in the air if, if nothing else has come out of this time that we find ourselves in? On that, what did signing the long-term deal do to your mental status? Because you're essentially squared away for a decade. Is that assuming everything is fine with supercars and sport and the world? But you're, you're, you're squared away for a decade, right? Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, I signed, I think it's the biggest, the longest longest term deal in the sports history last year and that was um you know i i love i love my sport i love my team i um the team i have and my my owner the team owner betty clamenco we have a very good relationship and i thought i've never been happier doing my job or my role and in my sport as i have been with this team so why couldn't i make it go longer and you know we come up with the idea that it's basically a lifetime deal as long as i Wanted to race the car. I suppose I, could, I got a job racing the car full time. Yeah, it was a a weird thing because as a driver, you kind of just live contract to contract, and and most of them are only sort of one, two years. You could possibly get three if you were good enough. Um, so that was your like lifespan, and that was all your worries and stress over that period of time, as long as that contract went. And you're always thinking about where can I land next, what can I do next? Is the team do they t- is, the, is the team happy with me and my performance? Um, do I need to try and talk to other people and go somewhere else so you know to to sign a super long-term deal it sort of takes that fear away from you what i've been reading about in that rich dad book is most people they there's there's two i think there's two emotions there's the the fear of losing their job or the desire to to succeed and win so you know signing the 10-year deal has taken the, the fear of losing your job out so then i've only got the desire to win and succeed fascinating really interesting isn't that funny but i've only i've only just worked that out recently <laughs> but i'm also interested in that idea of how your personal values and beliefs you see them pop up in other places and you're attracted to those places you know whether it be a book or or another person or whatever else you tend to recognize your own values in in other things on that then what if you had never discovered karting when you were younger you were from a family that was into violins not cars what do you think <laughs> what 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 do you think you would be if you weren't a race car driver that's a very good question and you know in an alternate reality ultimate fighter yeah oh man i, I love ufc i love watching that um i don't know if i could <laughs> i don't know if i could be good at it but i like it i enjoy watching it it's yeah i'm the same there are some things for doing there are some things for watching things are watching exactly yeah. right yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. i admire those people like oh, probably more than ever absolutely more than anyone else in the world yeah <laughs> if i wasn't doing racing i don't know what i'd be doing um oh, actually funny story in like I started racing in 91 and I actually retired in 1994. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, as a nine-year-old kid. And then I started playing tennis and I played tennis for about four years and was and my um, coach was going to take me on the junior tour and stuff. And I was only 12 or 13 years 
years old at the time. And um, she goes, you're going to be playing 16, 17-year-olds. You're going to lose. Like, you, you're literally going to lose. Told me that. And I didn't want to hear that, so I quit tennis <laughs> and started racing go-karts again. So, yeah, maybe See. if I didn't have go-karts, I might be playing tennis or I don't know. In an alternate reality, be somewhere, yeah, I'll be doing something. Yeah, people like you uh, irritate people like me. I'm flat <laughs> out trying to be good at anything. And, yeah. uh, you can turn your hand to anything. Thanks for being so generous with your time today. I mean, do you, I'll give you the floor for a moment. Is there something you'd like to say to the shedders across Australia? And I just heard from Ireland, actually, shedders across the world. So um, oh, yeah. you just want to say hi to the guys? Yeah, hey, hey, shedders, what's going on? <laughs> hopefully, oh, hopefully I can do more stuff with you guys and – um. And I'll be, you know, not doing it via phone. I'll be doing more live stuff and conversing and, you know, getting to know some people. So, yeah, I love people. I love getting to know everyone. Every, I, you know, I meet a lot of different people and a lot of strange people and I kind of love all the weird and wonderful people you meet because they all come from different walks of life and they've all got different perspectives and, and generally got some funny stories to tell me and that's what I enjoy. I've admired you from afar for some time and it's oh, been thanks, a real man. treat to uh, get to know you better today. Uh, you're exactly what I imagined. Really? And, uh, awesome. Yeah, yeah. And I've really enjoyed our chat. I hope it's not the last. I'm based in Newcastle and hopefully the supercars will be here again really soon. And uh, yeah, we might, as I say, get within 1.5 metres of each other. Huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with a mask on. Exactly, with Michael a mask Jackson on. gloves. <laughs> exactly. Uh, thank you so much, David, for being on the Shed Wireless today. If you would like more information about the program, the partnership that we have with David, or of course, just having a healthy, positive, effective approach to your health as a male, you can go to healthymale.org.au, or of course, you can always just go to menshed.org, and we are the portal that will take you to all sorts of interesting places. Thank you, David Reynolds. No, thanks, Aaron. Appreciate it. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. With Rick Woodchip. G'day, Shedders. Rick Woodchip here. How you all going today? I've just got back from town for my annual checkup. Yep, it's that time of year again when I go put myself over the pits for a full grease and oil change. And to make sure I just keep myself roadworthy for a few more years. As I'm still planning on clocking up a few more miles yet. I tend to do it a bit more regular nowadays, mostly due to the missus incessant nagging, but over the years, I got to reckoning how important regular maintenance is. And, as they say, prevention is better than the cure. See, me old man's motto used to be, don't think about it and just keep working. Didn't matter if you near chopped off a finger or if he just wasn't in a good headspace, you know? It was the same attitude. And I guess I used to live by the same code for a while, but later on I started to realise that some things just aren't best ignored. It's like if your ute started making a bit of a clanking sound or running a bit rough, you'd at least pull over and have a look under the bonnet, wouldn't you? And if need be, you'd take it down to the mechanic and get it fixed, you know? Or else sooner or later the bastard would break down, you'd be up Ship Creek or up for a new one. I used to get a little bit apprehensive about taking me clobber off and having someone tinker with me bits. The only other person that ever saw me parts up close before was me missus. And me mum, of course. And judging by the reaction I got on my wedding night, I was a bit reluctant to subject anyone else to that kind of torment. But I have to remind myself that doctors do this stuff every bloody day and are professionals, just like any other trade. And they've probably seen it many times before. And my parts can't be too much different than anyone else's, could they? Maybe somewhat larger and distinguished, but you get the gist. And like castrating a Mallee bull, the first time is usually the hardest, for the bull especially. But it just gets easier and easier after that. Now, me and me doc are on pretty good terms. And there's just about nothing I can't talk to her about. She probably knows more about me than I know about myself in some respects. I suppose once someone's put a digit in your rectum, there's not much more you can't share. But always come out of there feeling a little bit better for knowing. Whether the prognosis is good, bad or indifferent. It's just peace of mind. Beats laying in bed stressing about it, that's for sure. And it also helps sometimes just to know that you're not the only one going through something. And between all of us fellas down at the shed, there's not much more that hasn't been experienced, whether it be widows or wars or dementia or divorces. And there's probably more new and used parts floating around inside some of us blokes than on the workbenches. So there's always someone to talk you through it, whatever ails you. 
Anyway, fellas, speaking of spare parts, that was a bit of a drive in from town, so I'm going to go clear the manifold. Give us a holler on the shed online or the shed wireless at menshed.net. Talk to you next week, fellas. See ya. Staying strong. Staying sharp. And staying healthy. With the Shed Wireless. Given that it is Men's Health Month, we figured it'd be the perfect opportunity to talk about one of our major health programs with one of our major health partners. Spanner in the Works is all about the importance of regular servicing and maintenance for men at every age. Stuart Torrance, Men's Health Project Officer at AMSA, is a regular friend here on the Shed Wireless. Welcome back, Stuart. Hi, yeah. And we're also joined by Vanessa Jones from Healthy Male. Hi, Vanessa. Hello, Aaron. How are you today? Yes, great. Thank you. Welcome to the Shed Wireless. I, I guess we have some idea of what Stuart's been up to as a regular friend here on the show, but can you tell us a little about Healthy Mail to get started, please? I sure can. Healthy Mail is a not-for-profit peak health promotion body. We have a vision of a healthier life for all men and boys, and we're just passionate about men's health. We focus a lot of our information and resources on male reproductive and sexual health, but it's more than that. We really care about making a difference to men across Australia to live a healthier life. Why is it important to have male-only focused health initiatives? There's certainly some differences. Obviously, there's the biological differences, um, different parts that um, we'll be talking about with the Spanner in the Works chat and some Mm. of those things. But also some of our work recently has shown us that men generally um, engage in health services a bit differently. And I am making a generalisation there. There's certainly some men who are absolute fantastic health advocates and get out there and are really proactive in looking after their health. But men tend to access health services later. They take a wait and see approach. Um, They might have some niggles going on for a while And then by the time they actually go and seek help from a health or a medical professional, it's not always that it's too late, but damage has been done and the the road back to great health is much harder. I can tell you're choosing your words carefully, but let me say it as a bloke, we avoid the doctor if we can, usually. Is Is that a fair summary of the situation? That is a great summary in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, okay. And again, it isn't true for everyone. But And, and you know, in defence of the blokes to some degree, if you trotted off to the doctor every time you had a niggle, you'd probably live in the waiting room. So I, I understand it in one way, but certainly all of the messages that we are getting is that by leaving it too long, we make things way, way worse. So what is the connection between healthy male and shedding, Vanessa? Healthy Male and the Australian Men's Shed Association have been great friends for a really, really long time and have worked really collaboratively over a number of years. I think over the last 18 months, the Spanner in the Works Health Promotion Toolkit has been the one thing that has drawn us together. The Shed has got this happening Oh, a long time ago now, probably almost 10 years ago, and had a really great concept in the service and maintenance schedule for health and relating that back to looking after our cars. And then Healthy Mail came on board with them last year to really update the health content and bring that side of things together. So we're really wrapped to be in partnership with the Australian Men's Shed Association. I'd like to talk about that update in a moment, but Stuart, if I can come to you, I I know what Spanner in the Works is in the first instance. It's you driving a fine-looking van, but beyond that, what is Spanner in the Works? It's getting out and, I suppose, getting about and seeing the the, the fellas in in a face-to-face and having a conversation about health, bringing that health conversation, uh, I suppose, to the forefront we talk about anything and everything else uh, under the sun when we're in a shed. And what we've noticed is quite often things will talk to uh, lifestyle, living, pressures and all those sort of things. And we sort of saw a link to individual health 
and uh, we basically wanted to boost that. So the, the spanner in the works program relating the servicing of your vehicle to the servicing of the operator of that vehicle and showing the importance of it was paramount in uh, delivering our health message. We call Sheds Health by Stealth. They come for the um, enjoyment, from the, for the camaraderie, for the activities and for all the tools and, uh, and goodies that every uh, shed has. But what we slip in there is that health message that I, I suppose gently takes the fellas to their doctor to have a regular service, just like you would service your car. You're not going there because you've got a busted brake pedal. You're, you're going to ensure that that brake pedal doesn't break in the first place. And I think that's the important part of Spanner. And that's why the analogy works so well. If you drive 150,000 Ks and don't change the oil in your car, your car will fail spectacularly at some point and you won't know exactly when. But So it's a, it's a very useful mechanism, right, for understanding why maintenance is important and not just replacing the tyre when it goes flat. Yeah, you, well, we're, we're being proactive rather than reactive. Stuart, when you pull up in your nice new van and the Spanner in the Works program is turning up at my shed, how does that play out? How does it actually work? Well, it depends on what we're there for. We, we, go, we go along to a lot of events that the sheds put on um, and they are basically highlighting what happens in the shed and all the enjoyment that people can have and promoting the, the shed environment and the, the camaraderie. But off to the side there is uh, a lot of health elements. So we invite other organisations to come along and set up, uh, distribute their materials, uh, talk to people about their um, their elements and, and the like. The Spanner program then takes them to a very general overall check of weight, measurements and blood pressure and basically just says, look, it's as easy as this. This is all we're asking you to do is service yourself on a regular basis. These checks that we do are not the the in-depth check that your doctor, your GP would do, but it gives them a taste of what would happen when they come to the doctor. And what we're trying to do is normalize getting these checks done on a regular basis. If we can encourage guys to go to the doctor on a regular basis, we've done our job. Vanessa, is that the key idea from your point of view as well, that it takes away the demon of the process? Because, well, I'll speak for myself. Main hesitation I would have for a regular checkup is I don't particularly want to get bad news. Absolutely. And I think one of the really terrific things about the sheds is that people can go there and just have those brilliant social connections and they learn from each other. So if someone's having a rough time or has had a not so great diagnosis with their health, then they've got a, a, a community of support around them and people that they can share that experience with. Often a problem shared is a problem halved. And the key thing with that is most of these health conditions, they're not unique. Mm. A lot of people suffer from uh, these types of health conditions health changes as we we get older things need a bit more attention and by sharing those you actually learn that there's others out there who may have been through a similar experience and it does like Stuart said it kind of normalizes it it it, it makes that experience easier to manage one of your specialties Vanessa is around male sexual health and in many ways that can manifest uh, in prostate problems and also erectile function and a lot of our sense of manhood, well-being, virility, self-confidence, all of those things are wrapped up in all of that. How does healthy male attack the problem from the biological and the psychological angle? Absolutely. Well, we have we're a health information resource really. We've got a range of information resources available on our website, healthymail.org.au, that cover a lot of the general information that men might want to know. We provide questions that you could ask your doctor um, or health professional about. Um, You might be able to take in a cheat sheet to help prompt those questions because those 
sexual health and reproductive health conditions can be really hard to talk about. And those conversations initially can be quite uncomfortable. But I guess reassuring men that your doctor and your health professional have heard it before. These are normal conditions and things like you mentioned, Aaron, like erectile dysfunction, they're actually quite commonly associated with things like heart disease and type 2 diabetes, yet we don't talk about them. So I think it's really important that um, we're encouraging men to say, you know, it's part of your biology, it's part of your makeup. These are okay things to talk about. One in four men over the age of 45 have problems with erectile dysfunction. So it is a lot more common than perhaps what we think. Yeah. So if you're standing in a shed with 20 blokes, you'll be amongst a number of friends who have got exactly the same dramas that you've got. And and the other thing is it's not necessarily a life sentence, right, Vanessa? If you get this stuff treated, you can get some results. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that we we hear about these lifestyle things that Spanner in the Works promotes as the do-it-yourself maintenance schedule, things like exercise, getting started with exercise and eating well, all of those things have a great impact on things like heart disease and diabetes, those conditions that are more common. And when we get those things under control, then things like your sexual and reproductive health actually become more manageable. And there are lots of different treatment options as well as lifestyle. There's medications and lots of other things that can be done to improve all of those things. So it's worth asking the question, Stu. It's worth having the conversation. Aaron, I I think the other thing to uh, remember is a lot of the gentlemen that we deal with are now on their own, whereas uh, their partner used to schedule their regular checkups. They would keep an eye on their partner. They would Mm. see what was going wrong. They would see that they were struggling in a, a particular area and they would literally pack them off to the doctor. I take my own story that uh, I told several weeks ago in regards that my wife noticed that I wasn't doing too well after taking a drug Mm. to stop smoking. Um, I thought I was just grumpy because I'd stopped smoking. My wife noticed that it was a lot deeper than that and packed me off to, to the doctor for my annual checkup, a checkup I'd never had before that date. And um, I went along and found out that the depression was actually caused by the drug that I was taking to uh, stop smoking. A lot of our guys in the sheds no longer have that person that keeps an eye on them. They, They no longer have that support network of people so close to them that they see these little differences and little changes. And that's why, again, the shed becomes more important because the shed mates are the ones that mm. notice the changes. The the shed mates are the ones that, you know, turn around and say, mate, are you grumpy or what? And start the conversation about, you know, where their head is at. So hand in hand, the sheds and a health uh, initiative really, really do join uh, perfectly together and address our audience's needs. That's a really important point. And it's to say nothing of the fact that, If you've lost your missus, you might not be eating as well as you used to. Your mental health mightn't be as great as it was as well. And, of course, those things can cascade out of control. So most of the blokes in the shed are a lot uglier than your missus, but they can still play a role for you. Stuart, thank you very much. That's a really valuable insight, and we look forward to seeing your work in the coming months once uh, we're more able to get together than we are right now. And, Vanessa, if people have had their interest piqued by this conversation, how can they find out more about Healthy Mail and the things that you offer? Well, I think the best port of call to start off is straight to our website at healthymail.org.au. And for more general health, I think the Spanner in the Works website's also terrific and it's got a huge range of resources of different health bodies that can really support with great information provision. So that's mailhealth.org.au. Thank you very much, Vanessa Jones from Healthy Mail. Thank you, Stuart Torrance, Men's Health Project Officer at AMSA. And Gentlemen, you're officially out of excuses. Go and get on that website and get yourself serviced. You're listening to The Shed Wireless.
Can you actually remember the first time you heard the term mental health? I bet you can remember lots of other terms that used to get used when someone's mental health wasn't great. People would say, oh, he's lost it. Uh, After the war, uh, everyone talked of shell shock. Sometimes it was just uh, euphemistic, like he hit the drink. Perhaps people just rather unkindly said he had gone mental, right? So what does the shed do for mental health? What is it about the shed process that makes men do better? Professor John McDonald is a patron of the Australian Men's Shed Association and a director of Men's Health at Western Sydney University. Hello and welcome once again to the Shed Wireless, Professor. Thank you very much, Aaron. I I do appreciate what you're doing and these programs going out to men. Could I I start by being a bit um, naughty or controversial? That would be most out of character, but sure, why not? Go ahead. (laughs) Historically, if we look at the expression of mental health, that expression, for me, it's clear, it's, it's a new one. Yeah. 20 years ago, people weren't speaking about mental health. And I have to tell you that without being too exotic, I do some work in South America in a country called Chile. And there in Chile, they've stopped people. They've said to academic, I've said to professionals, nurses and doctors, be careful about labeling people as having some mental health condition. Very often, it's we talk about an emotional crisis or an emotional situation, something like that. It's only in Western world that, especially with the rise, and I mean this, especially with the rise of medication, which can sometimes be helpful, of course. But if you look at the history of it in the last 20 years, before that, there wasn't so much diagnosis of mental health problems, and there certainly wasn't so much prescription of antidepressant drugs. I think, uh, well, I'm part of the movement which says, yes, we do need drugs sometimes, and in good hands, as part of something else, they can help us. But let's be very careful about labeling other people and maybe labeling, labeling ourselves as having some mental health. Because, I mean, if someone's lost their loved one, their son or their partner or their best friend, they're going to feel terrible. Does that mean to say they're mentally ill? They could feel down for a while, but that we should be careful saying, well, he needs to see a doctor and the doctor will give him something. Um, for it, be careful. Um, loss and grief and um, feeling feeling bad at times are part of the human condition. Doesn't mean to say there isn't things like mental health problems. People do have psychiatric problems and they do have psychosis and neurosis. But what we discovered, for example, in a study, small study on the central coast of men who had sadly taken their own lives, only a small percentage of them could have been labelled as having one of those, a psychosis or a neurosis, that for the others, it was an accumulation of horrible things that had happened in their lives, which made them feel terrible. Now, to say that they were mentally ill, no, clearly those if those terrible things had effect on their well-being and on their mental health, but it would be wrong to say that they were mentally ill. They were just emotionally bashed. I think it's very. we should be very careful about falling into that trap of easily naming people as being mentally ill. I think those are powerful words, and I just want to preface the thing I'm about to say in that I am just a layman and I have zero expertise in this area. This is only a life observation, not a professional one. But to me, if you have been a high flyer your whole life and suddenly you wake up on Monday morning and you're retired, or if your wife dies, or uh, if you get a bad health diagnosis. In fact, having a sadness response to that is mentally healthy. If you had something really bad happen to you, and it didn't make you sad, you couldn't call yourself mentally healthy, could you? That's actually a very professional statement. You say it, it's a layman's statement, but there's more and more evidence of that, that we're confusing sadness and understandable sadness with mental illness and um, the labeling of people as being mentally ill precisely because they've lost their jobs or their partner or be careful. It's they, We need help for those situations. And sometimes medication might help if, if the feelings go on too long, but it would be wrong, as I think you're implying, to say that because someone's very, very sad, and they should be, that they're mentally ill. They're not necessarily. And that doesn't mean that they don't need support and love and outlets 
and mitigation and all of that sort of thing, but it doesn't mean you're mentally ill. Absolutely. And one of my students who was a doctor and became a psychiatrist came to me that's some years ago, and he, he was very sad. He said, because I'm so busy as a psychiatrist, most of my job is just measuring the medication for my patients, and I do want to talk to them, but I have no time. So um, mm. that this overemphasis on medication to the exclusion of of other things is really sad. And that let's be clear, though, Aaron, we're not saying that people can't be mentally ill. Absolutely not. And if you have any sort of a chronic condition, uh, as you say, if it does become unhealthy, then it most certainly needs to be done. But we're in dangerous territory from my point of view. But the point that I wanted to make was nobody gives you a contract that you'll be happy every day of your life. That's my point, that there are certain days when we all aren't happy and that doesn't mean you're broken. Absolutely. And when we're close to someone's children or partner or best friends and we see it happen to them, we know that we hope that it's going to pass and we can help them get through it. But that doesn't mean to say we should label them as being mentally ill. No. So, if we flip it over and not talk about the illness and talk about mental well-being and living well and having a healthy interaction and interface with your reality, which uh, going off your earlier comments is, is one of your definitions of what mental health is, what role do sheds play in that process? Yeah, I think anecdotally it's good to think of of men that I know and probably others who are hearing this know that if someone walks into the shed and feels, yes, yeah, this is okay, I'm okay here, yeah, this is that feeling which has been said to me by many people. I I remember visiting a a shed in Scotland, Scotland, you know, I hope you've all heard of Scotland. (laughs) (laughs) We're certainly hearing it in your accent, but yes, go on. Well, I walked into a shed and they were all, all the men were busy on their own, but as soon as I walked up to them and asked what they were doing or you know, just stood shoulder to shoulder for a little bit, then they started to tell me. Several of them said, you know, it's just coming in here. As soon as I, as soon as the door opens and I walk in, I feel it. I feel okay. This is okay. I'm okay here. I'm welcome here. I belong here. That's a good word. I belong here. doesn't mean to say it's always wonderful that everybody's yeah. laughing or joyful, but just I feel okay in this place. This is also my place. And that that sense of um, having a space where you feel you feel good to be, that's at the essence of the shed. And it's one of the reasons I'm so so pleased to be involved in, in the shed movement. And I have to say also, just a little plug there, in addition to being this professor and being a patron, I also have been started a shed in Western Sydney, ostensibly for Aboriginal men because they were most at risk of suicide, though we don't put that over the door. But So it's a shed a bit different from other sheds. But you can see by the blokes who come there, it's not perfect. It's even quite grotty at times, and it could do with a woman's cleaning up sometimes. You can see by the blokes just coming there and sitting outside and me trying to get them to stop from smoking, <laughs> hanging around, having a place to be. And they've said it themselves, actually said that. What we need is a place to be, a place where we can be, ourselves and where we can feel welcome and i've seen it work now can i measure that or can i prove it to you no i can but i would say to people who question it come and have a look yeah (laughs) come and see it and this is the nature i don't need to tell you this is your life but this is the nature of measuring health success it's like it's like measuring goalkeeping. You can only measure the goals that are scored. You can only measure the suicide numbers. You can't measure the number of people who didn't suicide, can you? So it's a constant challenge. Exactly. And it's a pathway. It's a pathway to despair. As what we saw on the Central Coast all those years ago was that men who unfortunately go down that road, it's often accumulation of things that are happening to them. And um, as you said, we can't prove that we've done this or that, but we can say that we've intervened that something like in the one I'm talking about, the shed I'm talking about, homelessness is, is, is an issue or insecurity of homelessness. And the guys at the shed can help them because we do, and it's an unusual shed, we do have two professionals, not psychologists, but blokes who are also Aboriginal, who if someone's missing, who doesn't have somewhere to stay, then, and that's the main thing in their lives, lots of other things too, then the first thing is to get them somewhere to stay. So, um, 
that to deal with the the immediate issue that's that's pressing on them it can be so important i think yeah that that's interesting i've never for all of the ways i've looked at sheds and i've twisted the prism a few ways to look at what you just said there is very interesting to me it's almost a an appointment to connect to your network isn't it absolutely ah I mean, wouldn't necessarily talk about it like that, but they don't have to. No. But we, if we know it's happening, and if you can see in them, um, I see it in the faces of men too when they come in and they feel that they, they belong um, they've got a place. And that can, of course, and should be, um, should work the other way. So when someone comes who's a bit tentative and is brought there by their missus or whatever, uh, wanders in a bit unsure of what he is, then reaching out to him and saying, hey, hello there, why don't you have a cup of tea? Uh, come in and just hang around a bit with us. And that kind of openness to other people because you yourself have felt the place was open to you. That's at the essence of the shed. Professor John McDonald is a patron of the Australian Med Shed Association and the Director of Men's Health at Western Sydney University. Another inspiring chat and a lot of food for thought there. Thank you. We'll catch up on the shed wireless again really soon. Thank you very much, Alan. Thank you. Now on The Shed Wireless, let's see who's working in the shed. And who should we find working in the shed other than AMSA's very own events and volunteer coordinator, Marty Least. Least, last but not. (laughs) It's a running gag. (laughs) Very good. good. (laughs) What's involved in being AMSA's event and volunteer coordinator? Well, that, that's the eternal question, Aaron. What does Marty Leeds do? It gets asked a lot around the office. I'm trying to get this finally on the record. <laughs> well, let me just check the job description. But now, where did I put that? <laughs> I think it's stabilising that dodgy table you built. <laughs> uh, no, mate. Oh, look, I, from my perspective, I've got the greatest role of all. Like, I am... Basically, I go around and throw little parties for, for shedders all over the all over the country. So. You know, my prime, primarily my role is to support sheds to run events and to run events on behalf of AMSA and the AMSA sponsors and supporters. Basically, I can be doing things like from little uh, barbecues for events just to host, to go and visit for the day and get all the shedders in the area together, or I can run big things. I've run events at Parliament House, which has been a, an absolute privilege to be able to do. The handful of invited people there. Other events up to, you know, two to 300 shedders coming along from all over the area just to celebrate shedding, basically. Yeah. What's the variance level in the quality of snags across Australia? Mate, I am going to write a book one day. I'm a sausage connoisseur, I tell you. <laughs> when they're good, they're very, very good, and when they're bad, they're horrid, though, right? You've got to keep the same expression for every one you eat, and you've got to say it's the best sausage I've had in my life. Just it's the same. It's the same thing. Is, is this the best shed you've seen? Oh, I've got to be very diplomatic with my answers. Is this the best shed you've seen? Uh, yeah, oh, mate, this is the biggest, the best shed. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. No, mate, I could, I could absolutely write a book on on sausages, and uh, definitely, uh, am as like I said, a sausage connoisseur, and. Yeah, and I've got the stomach to prove it, the waistline to prove it, so the the love handles. The gyms are reopened, so uh, we're running out of excuses. Thank goodness for that. Yeah, I know. I started started this whole thing with gusto. I joined the gym and said, yep, working from home, I'm going to join the gym because I'm not on the road anymore. And two days later, they closed the gyms on me, so that went out the window. (laughs) That's the thought that counts. How did you come to answer in the first place? Oh, well, well... Long story short, much like much the same. I was a a, a, a prefect of uh, Catholic Care Newcastle, and um, I basically replaced Dave Helmer's role as Windale Shed Men's Shed Coordinator. So he left and basically uh, started answer. And so there was a position there at the Windale Men's Shed as for a coordinator. And I was interviewed by Liz McDonald from Catholic Care, and Dave Helmer's, and Roger Grennan from the Windale Men's Shed. And I, I got the role as the shed coordinator. I had very, very, very little idea of what men's sheds were, but um, it, in hindsight, my background has sort of placed me well for the or perfectly for the position. So basically, I came from there, and it, it just evolved. I guess that by the time I got to Window Men's Shed, they were like, "We don't need a men's shed coordinator. You know what? What do we need a coordinator for? You know, they've set up everything. We've set up everything. There's, you know, you're just biding your time. So pretty much." Um, 
Dave was just up the road with Answer. Dave and Mel had sort of broken away and were working and started Answer, and they just basically all went up there and just worked out of there. And Dave pretty much took me under his wing, which is a pretty unhygienic place to be, but pains me to say, but I've learned so much from that guy. So, yeah. It's a theme that keeps coming up in the Shed Wireless, how many of us involved in the movement actually find it from a white-collar background, but you're genuinely good on the tools, or at least you were once. Well, mate, if I was that good on the tools, I'd probably still be there, and I've got the scars to prove that I wasn't the greatest of carpenters in the world. But, uh, yeah, mate, I, I do appreciate the fact that I, I did a trade and I, I, I fell into that through my father, who was a builder. And I do appreciate the fact that I'm, I still love the fact that I have those skills and can still do the odd thing around the house and work up in the back shed and build the odd bit of furniture or whatever I do. And it's 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 so rewarding to be able to do it. But the the fact is, it's like, and that's what I say to people: everything you do, I guess, in life is a stepping stone towards where you where you end up, and it all it all sort of builds up. Like like in training, they say there's tiers of training and things and. Yeah, it's just it's whether it's serendipity or it's just I don't know. It's it just works out that way. But yeah, builder by trade. Then I I, I obviously didn't have a, a passion for for building, and I was on a job once at a school, and I, I ran across this work for the doll crew, and I was speaking to the coordinator there, and he was telling me about it, and I said, "Wow!" And he said, "Are you interested?" I said, "Yeah, I'll give it a go," because I was just itching to get out of the building trade, and so I started running this work for the doll projects, and one of the ones I did was a a timber workshop and it was um for all intents and purposes it was a um it was a it was a men's shed it was a we i had guys coming in men and ladies coming in to do their certain allocated hours for the week and i was teaching basic carpentry skills and bits and pieces and encouraging more so encouraging them back into that motivated work and getting up out of bed and having to be somewhere and having to work all day and things like that but also increasing their confidence and and all that sort of stuff and I just had an absolute passion for this but the other the other thing about that project was the fact that some of the stuff we were building was furniture for handicapped children up at the special ed department at Newcastle University and I'll never forget the first project we had one of I just built this little walking aid for this girl with cerebral palsy and she first time she walked you know with this with the aid of this thing that we built her and mate that was just a wave of emotion and and i i I totally get what the men's shed guys get when they do that stuff and if only we could all experience that earlier in life you just yeah these these guys are you know retiring and getting that thing it's like it's like an addiction a drug to be able to to, to do that for someone and it's yeah so that so that was a, a byproduct of that but I went from that into I was frustrated by the fact that these kids were leaving school and couldn't get employment or you know and were falling into a rut and it, it's so hard to get them out of that rut so I went into a, for a business development role for a training company and a bit of a marketing role as well and where I was trying to endorse businesses to take on apprentices and you know interviewing kids and getting them apprenticeships and that was really rewarding stuff and not long after that I think the the roles just things happen in life and I think the role for the men's shed came up and yeah it was just like I say serendipity. So you said that one of the attractions was that you like people and you like learning about people what have you learned about people in this role? Oh I'd the first thing to me I think I was probably I don't know it's probably about nearly 28 29 when i started running the work for the dole projects and i think the first thing is man i've lived a sheltered life everyone has a story and and so many things we have we judge people i used to judge people i know my i think my father was a bit of a judgmental person i i just took on my opinions of other people based on his judgments and i and i found out well no dad these guys really have a story they're they're here for a reason they've had tough stories tough lives and we really have to look at that and and look at that before we make any judgment that's really profound because you don't know what anyone else's journey is and you you're making your judgment on a tiny bit of data right absolutely absolutely and there's so many and i just think there's so many things that like I said, the sheltered life, I had such a great, I consider myself pretty messed up in the head sometimes, you know, and, and I've had my fair share of mental health issues and things. And I've had to, you know, to some would be the perfect child or the perfect upbringing. And I think these, some of these people have had such uh, traumatic experiences or have not had the guidance that I was privy to. 
and are still doing so well for themselves and still trying so hard and yeah but my thing in that role is i would give these kids 150 percent. i call them kids but some of them are you know middle-aged and older for different reasons but i would give them 150 percent of my time and energy and i still do that with anybody i meet and as long as i and i will keep continuing to give them 150 percent of my time and energy if, if i see them sort of working towards bettering themselves you know and I, and I also saw lots of kids, once again, that were so desperate to drag themselves out of that hole and they worked so hard, but then they had other influences, fam- you know, maybe family influences that were dragging them back down. And it was so devastating. Why, why do you keep doing it? Mate, it is just the most rewarding job in the world. It is, uh, look, these guys have so much knowledge they have so much passion and i see i see how much they're getting out of it because i know that feeling i was like i said i was very lucky to experience a lot of that when i was younger but i see these guys i've got a million stories aaron but i see a guy who might have been an accountant or a you know bank manager or something for his whole life and he'll come in and get on a lathe for the first time and produce some of the most extraordinary work and just this wave comes over him of, of wow, look, and they, that, that feeling of why haven't I been doing this my whole life? What have I been missing? This is so great. And they do so much wonderful work. I mean, you can get on a, you can take any pill you want in the world for stress, but you get on a lathe for half an hour and you just forget about the world. That's, that's meditation. But the other thing too, I suppose, in, in those cases, the, the, maybe the blue collar workers that join the shed is you, you've got, you're producing something. You've got something to look at at the end of the day where you mightn't see that. Uh, so much in, in your other role. And I, I know that now I, I get so much satisfaction out of mowing my lawn now because I look back and go, wow, look at that. It looks fantastic. Because I don't, in my role now, I'm sort of doing a lot of stuff that's maybe just behind the desk or, or, or so. And, you know, you don't see the fruits of your labour, I guess. But, yeah. And listen, just uh, something, I'm not exactly sure what this means, but I've been asked to put this to you as a question that just simply says, uh, why have Marty and Rip Woodship never been seen in the same room together. Rip Woodship. Who is that guy? Rip Woodship. He is, wow, what a, what a guy. But let me, let me just say, Aaron, that you've never seen me and Superman in the same room either, have you? So there you go. Well, let's just leave it at that, shall we? Let's just say that Rip is the man that we all wish we were. Oh, don't we? Don't we? I tell you, what a guy. What a guy. <laughs> I'll still never look at a stew the same again after he talked about throwing a sand shoe into the stew last week. Marty, just in, in all sincerity, uh, the Shed Wireless has been a group project and there's been lots of stuff that has gone on from behind the scenes and you've been at the core of a lot of that and uh, really been... Uh, my man connecting with the sheds and all of that sort of thing uh, in ways that I just uh, couldn't imagine. So thank you for everything that you do behind the scenes uh, to make the shed wireless a thing, as well as all the high profile work that you do in your role as the event and volunteer coordinator. Thanks for working in the shed with us this week. Mate, an honour and a pleasure. Thanks, mate. Great to speak to you. Talk to you soon. That is Marty Lees there, who is AMSA's event and volunteer coordinator working in the shed this week. We've pulled the door closed on this special Men's Health Week episode of The Shed Wireless. Thank you to David Reynolds, John McDonald, and all of our guests. Dave Helmer's next episode, Mark Coulton, will join us, a man who has a uh, particular relationship with sheds en masse across a big chunk of Australia. He does, he does. If people don't know Mark, he's the Minister for Regional Health. Communications. And, yeah, a portfolio of others as well. (laughs) Previous to that, he was the Deputy Speaker and he's also the long-serving member for Parks. And he established the Bipartisan Friendship Group, Political Friendship Group, Friends of Mensheds, a long-time supporter of Mensheds. But he also holds the record as that He's got more men-sheds in his electorate than any other politician in Australia. I think he's up around 75 sheds or something in his electorate, so he knows sheds well and truly. And when he gets out and doing the rounds in his his electorate, he calls into a lot of the sheds and uh, lives on a staple diet of sausage sandwiches and chocolate biscuits (laughs) and cups of tea at each one. So we look forward to catching up with Mark next week. Yeah, that will be a good chat. We are available via certain community radio stations 
stations now. If you listen to a community radio station in your neck of the woods, ask where you can hear us. And if they don't have the show, put them in touch and we'll help them out. You can also find The Shed Wireless on Apple iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Red Circle. That might not mean a lot to you, but if you've got somebody young and tech-savvy around, they'll uh, steer you in the right direction. Wherever you find us, though, please subscribe so that each new episode gets delivered straight to you and you can rate and review as well. Most of all, though, please just share us through your networks. Newsletters, word of mouth, ring a mate and give him the tip. Send the Shed Wireless via the Shed Telegraph. And we're here anytime on email, the Shed Wireless at menshed.net or... You can get to the AMSA website, menshed.org, and see what's going on with the Shed Online there, have a conversation. Given that it is Men's Health Week, we thought it was timely to share that Lifeline is available 24 hours if you need mental health support. That's 13 11 14 for Lifeline, 13 11 14. So to Men's Line, 1300 997899. 1300 997899. And Beyond Blue has many resources as well. You can either go to the Beyond Blue website or if you just come to menshed.org, you can jump off to all of these resources from us. So on behalf of David Helmers, I'm Aaron Carney saying thanks for listening and we'll see you next time around on The Shed Wireless.